Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here, and I appreciate my guest, Jonathan Scheinman, for having patience as I figured out how to use this new system <laughs> that we're trying out here for Holding Court. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Great to have you on. I've been using your product Okay, for the last about month or so, I started using it. Nella, it's called. It's a probiotic. Uh, Fit Bionics is the name of your company, which you started a number of years ago. So please, uh, you know, tell me. I'm feeling a whole lot better. I got to be honest with you. Since I started taking, I've been trying to eat well too. But talk a little bit about how this whole thing got started and where where you're at right now with the product. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, you know, and talk about what we're doing and building with Fitbiomics. Um, yeah, you know, my story is a little interesting. I actually used to be a former athlete myself. I played basketball at St. John's University. I wasn't quite good enough to make the NBA, so my backup was getting a PhD in molecular biology. And like all scientists, that's how I went down the scientific <laughs> research route. So, um, but you know, I then did my PhD, at, uh, I did my postdoc at Harvard and really was there in sort of a biotechnology lab uh, a genomics tech development lab where I decided, you know, it might be cool to bridge the gap between cutting edge research and athletics. And the notion of Fitbiomics is really using, um, you know, metagenomics to understand what makes elite athletes unique, perform at an optimal levels, and sort of decode that information and translate it into next gen nutrition. And Nella is really the fruition of that, numerous years of research. Um, and it's basically next-gen probiotics that are helping us not just with gut health, but holistic health as well. Yeah, I mean, gut health has obviously become very popular uh, probiotics in the last couple of years, especially. Obviously, you've been studying this for a while. I did read through a lot of the materials on your website. Uh, um, I'm obviously not a biologist, so the terminology confusing a little bit to me at times, Jonathan. <laughs> But from, from as, as a former athlete and as someone who, you know, in my mid-50s likes to think of myself in some respect as still an athlete, I was interested in, in what you, you've been able to find about the gut health and about the different things within the system of athletes because I know you've done quite a few studies on that. So what's different about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, when we're talking about the microbiome, it's really an ecosystem of microorganisms that live in and on our body, predominantly in our gut. And believe it or not, we're as much bacteria as we are human. Um, and these trillions of microorganisms greatly influence our health, our development, our functionality, everything from digestion, breaking down the foods we eat, converting them to nutrients, energy absorption, protein metabolism, neurology, immunology. Uh, so basically, we're taking a form-fits-function approach. We're looking for probiotic strains that are unique or enriched in elite athletes that help them with their optimal physiology and performance. Um, so, you know, again, when we think about energy metabolism for athletes, that's endurance. Protein metabolism, that's strength. Neurology, that's mental toughness. Immunology, that's recovery. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, we're decoding and identifying these probiotics that we could turn into capsules that help everyday people, not just elite athletes, with digestion, sleep, energy, uh, endurance, and things of that nature. What are, what are the things that are 
crucial as far as recovery because that was always something that I, you know, I kind of learned through my years on the pro tour when I first started out. And now it's, you know, the science has gone to a whole nother level, which I think is part of the reason why you're seeing Tom Brady still out there, LeBron James, obviously in tennis. We've got Roger Federer, the Williams sisters, uh, Djokovic and Nadal are both in their mid thirties, you know, and they, they want to play a few more years. What have, what have you learned in your world over the last 10 years studying this that you think has helped these world-class athletes be able to stay at that level much longer than we really thought possible? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is, it's funny, when I was in college, you know, this notion of making it to the NBA and being in the league, there's almost this notion of, like, overtraining and, like, strength and, like, muscle building and things. Actually, and... Speaking of being in the NBA, there's Mr. Mullen. (laughs) Very nice for you to jump in here, Molly. Patrick, how are you? John, what's going on, buddy? It's great to see you. Thank you for popping on. My pleasure. Sorry I'm late. Yeah, no worries. Finish up, John. We'll get to Molly. Well, Chris, I was just taking your line talking about how the landscape of training in the NBA has gone from like, you know, muscle building and weightlifting to like rest and recovery. Um, And I think that's something we're seeing. You mentioned Brady and LeBron, you know, the notion of, you know, not overloading, uh, bettering your diet, understanding what's going into your body. Um, and, you know, really making sure you get the recovery. I'd just like to say for St. John's University, you know, the two options after graduating are either Hall of Fame basketball <laughs> player or biotech entrepreneur. Like, that's right. how we do with the Red Storm. I just well, want to say. Tell you, I mean, that's, those are two pretty good angles to go. So welcome, Chris. We go way back. Obviously, we're both New York guys. We miss you here in New York. You're back on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I'm back in the Bay Area, Patrick, uh, doing the Warriors pre and post. So. Low stress, no travel, yep. life is good. And uh, as you get to meet Jonathan here, unique story, obviously. Uh, not, not many people I know go as a walk-on basketball player to a bioscientist at Harvard. So <laughs> uh, unique story, very unique product. And uh, as you guys are just catching up, yeah, and you know this, Patrick, with um, how things have changed with technology, with, with uh, athletic performance analytics all these different factors that weren't around when we were coming up right and I, I i still think there's the proper ways to find the balance in between two because um you know rest recovery nutrition uh you know all the fitness uh technology that's available but then you want to be at your peak on on the tennis court or on the basketball court so find that balance between load management and being sharp for competition you know, we've seen this now, you know, just look with the Warriors, how, you know, they've got a lot of guys out with injuries trying to get together for the playoffs. There's still a lot of fundamental things that you have to go through to form a team. You know, you have to practice, you have to spend time together. You can't just, you know, analytically put those numbers together and have it, um, you know, successful for, for the long haul. So finding that balance is key. But with all that said, the most important thing is being healthy. Uh, injury-free, and a lot of that has to do with your daily habits. You know, um, again, back in the day, you know, I just remember watching watching you and your brother for so long through the tennis. That's a, it's more like an NBA schedule, right? That's a long, right. grueling, long, grueling process, both both physically and me- mentally and emotionally. So finding ways to stay sharp um, in all those areas is key. But uh, you know, your digestive system, the, the, the fuel that you put in your body, 
is key. And I think these athletes now have a lot more education in those areas um, and then balancing those all that information to where you still want that competitive fire. And when you step on that court, just go compete. So you do all that preparation for a reason. That's to be right. on that court uh, for game seven or the finals of one of the majors. So where you're thinking about nothing but but beating your opponent. Yeah, we, we, we all know how it, you know, as you said, Molly, how much has changed over the years. And I, I go back to your years, you know, obviously at St. John's, you were an All-American there. You, you put St. John's, you know, a couple others as well on the map. So we were very proud of that here in New York. You're a New York guy. But, I, you know, I remember when you got into the NBA, it was 15 or 16 years you played, six-time All-Star dream team twice you know all the accolades but you went through some tough times i remember you know you had some drinking issues i know that you addressed and you became a fitness fanatic and i remember our buddy brad gilbert who you know for many years and my espn guy and you guys live close to each other and he's been a huge warriors fan forever but he used to tell me the stories about you i think it was the stairmaster right wasn't that that was the thing you got obsessed with doing back when you were like you know no more drinking i'm cutting that out and you know you were obviously a great basketball player already but to to find that next level what was that process like for you to go through that mentally yeah so it's very uh pretty simple in one area that I quit drinking you know I had a drinking problem I, I addressed it I surrendered to it got the proper help um, you know ironically it's just a fun fact I was down at Sentinella Hospital in Englewood California I was there about six seven weeks mm. and your older brother John was nice enough to give me a ride to the airport from wow. from from rehab to LAX mm-hmm. and we we had lunch the day the day I left rehab actually Wow. So we go way back. So, yep. you know, and, and our, our connection, Patrick, is with Dr. Irving Glick. That, yes. That's, that's the tr- true connection. That's right. With, with, with myself, with you and, and your brother, John. Uh, and I remember I was probably 17 years old. And Dr. Glick, I was getting ready to go to St. John's. And he said, you need to meet John McEnroe. And I'm like, dude, he's like the most famous athlete in the world right now. Like, I'd love <laughs> right. to meet him. And, and he said something really funny. He goes, you guys are very similar. I'm like, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure if that was a compliment or a... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a compliment, yes. <laughs> but in reality, he was he was so right. Um, yeah, but so so getting back to, you know, addressing my problem and, and the connection to fitness. So now I have all this extra time. You know, I'm, I'm wasting time drinking and partying. I take that out of my life and I get instant gratification on the court. You know, as soon as I stop drinking... My body starts to, to get in better shape, obviously. I'm sleeping better. All the things we were just talking about, sleeping better, eating right. better. And I'm getting these great results on the court. So direct uh, positive reinforcement. And a lot of that was through fitness. You know, I had all this free time and had a clear head and dedicated myself to fitness and started really – had a trainer. I think you probably know Mark Grable was, a, sure. was my trainer at the time. I was taking him back to New York. We just, I just – found the love again like by take by by removing uh the distraction of drinking and party and i found the love of, of basketball again it really catapulted my career there was a lot of work i had to do beyond professionally you know emotionally right mentally dealing with some stuff that was there that i had to do in, in uh counseling sessions I, I took care of that and in turn was able to blossom my career but the fitness part became 
um, a key component to to catapulting not only my um, my professional career, but helping me move forward emotionally. So it was it was a big big transition for me. Had a lot of help, a lot of support uh, with family, friends, other athletes. As you mentioned, Brad, your brother John supported me tremendously. Um, so a process that is ongoing to this day, you know, more emotionally now because, as you know, being a parent, you have your own lives and you have to take care of your children as well. Uh, so life is always unfolding uh, w- without warning, right? There's things that just pop up. So to be um, equipped emotionally at this point in my life is way more important than physically. Although I do spend a lot of time, I still have the connection of feeling good physically feeling strong mentally i still have that connection that'll probably always be there for me um so that's why when i met jonathan um it kind of made sense at this point in my life i'm always obviously from my past not afraid to put anything in my body (laughs) but but now i try to put good things into my body um well, I got mine. Yeah, so, I got mine right here, baby. I got mine right I, here. And I've been taking it because, you know, we're we're similar. We're similar ages our mid 50s. And, you know, you can't quite, you know, I get out of the car and I feel my hips a little bit. And I'm like, shit, you know, I want to feel better. I still want to get out there and hit the ball. You still want to go shoot some J's. And but, you know, the, one of the things that's been amazing for me the last couple of years is working at our tennis academy that my brother started here in New York, yep. working with kids and seeing like the, the 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 just the genetic ability of certain kids over other kids. So, you know, when I look at you, obviously you had that ability as a player. I look at when you mentioned Jonathan's background. Like to me, like what you have done, Jonathan. You know, obviously you went to you went to LaGuardia High School, right in New York. You played the tuba, apparently. I, I did my homework on you. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say, how do you how do you know that? Listen, I do my homework for you guys. But you know, but, but amazing to think that you you know you had all these other interests as a student, as a kid, and yet you go out and shoot jumpers yourself, and to walk onto a team as good as St. John's, particularly in those years. Is, is just amazing. So, you know, that story in and of itself, Jonathan, that your, your desire to do that and then translate in, into what you're doing now is really remarkable. Yeah, it's funny just hearing you guys. There's so many things that came to mind, but, you know, I'm just a New York kid. I grew up in Greenwich Village, you know, and, you know, I'm a big believer in evolution and diversity is a requisite for evolution. And I think in New York, being the city it is, you're surrounded by so many things. Even in like sports, you know, there's this notion of as a young kid, you should avoid specialization and you should play different sports and actually is better for you to develop your skills um, and strengths. And I think, you know, being a part of performing arts, being a part of athletics and now biotechnology, it's kind of a way of evolving different industries and creating something that's new and impactful for society. And I'd like to think that's what Fit Biomics is, and I'd like to think Nell is a fruition of that. It's bridging the gap between cutting edge technology and almost pop culture mediums. And it's sort of, we're talking about, you know, hearing Chris talk, you know, it's less about athletic performance and it's more about human performance and longevity. And, you know, we talk about sort of you know, food is medicine or even exercise is medicine. And again, using biotechnology to understand what's working in elite athletes and super performers and now distilling that down into a capsule that could benefit everyone. Um, so in many ways, it's like bringing all of these backgrounds together um, to create something innovative. 
I got I, I, I to gotta ask you this, Molly, because actually just a couple hours ago, I was at our tennis academy, and I mentioned to um, one of my partners there, I was going to interview you guys for my podcast, so I was going to go home, take care of that, go back to the academy. My brother just called me, by the way, said, where are you, man? Get over here. I said, I'm about to talk to your buddy, Mullen. He said, okay, <laughs> take your time. But, but here's what I want. This gentleman said to me, he used to run a club in Brooklyn. Okay, you went to Power Memorial, obviously, and, you know, we're a great hoops player. But he said you used to come in to the club to, to practice, to shoot hoops, and you were the only white guy in, in the building. And so, you know, I started thinking about, obviously, being a white guy from Queens, you know, like from New York City like we are, and in this, you know, predominantly non-white sport. Just what was that like for you as a teenager, you know, kind of walking into those gyms and walking into practice and sort of being that, that you know, the great white hope of New York basketball at that time. I, I, I got to think that there was just some unbelievable stories about what went on during, the, you know, your 13, 14, 15 until you went to St. John's. Yeah, um, great, great stories, great memories, and, and probably the biggest um, the, the gateway to that, Patrick, was my attending Powell Memorial High School. And Jonathan mentions diversity and, and equality and, and all those important topics. You know, when I, I, I grew up in, in Flatbush, you know, uh, went to Catholic grade school. And my older brother, Rod, went to Power Memorial. So I basically followed his footsteps. Uh, but when I got to Power, that was the most diverse uh, school I had been in to that point in time. You know, with a lot of kids from Uptown, from Harlem from Spanish Harlem, from Hell's Kitchen, all over the city we had kids. Mm. And I got to meet um, a, a different type of uh, person, different family structures that, that, that I was used to. And while I was at Power, there was a few guys on my team, one being Mario Eli, mm. uh, this, this Asian guy from Spanish Harlem, Jesse Fong, one of, best, my, one of my best friends, and they played at Riverside Church. So mm. back in the day, there was only two AU teams. There was not mm -hmm. one in each neighborhood. It was Riverside Church Hawks and the Gauchos, which was up, uh, I think, in the Bronx. They had their their uh, their team. So I, I went up there um, because my dad let my older brother play there. Because you think about it, that was probably 1977, 78. Right. I was take I was taking a train from Brooklyn to Powers. It take me about 90 minutes to get wow. there. Wow, that's a long and trip. Rivers, yeah. Rivers, Riverside Church was up by Columbia, so that was another right. 20 minutes. So. The fact that, that it worked out for my brother, my dad let me do it. Um, and that was really where I kind of was introduced to AU basketball, playing all over the city. And at first it was a little intimidating, you know, taking the train up to Harlem and getting off the train. I actually used to wear, I used to wear a, a big bucket hat and long sleeve shirts at that time. So I was on the train. Uh, I was familiar with the train system, but I also, once you went past Lincoln Center, that was my stop for power. Right. It became became a different type element, you know, at that point in time in New York City. So uh, then, then you know, the funny stories were, you know, I'd get up to play, you know, we'd play up in 155th Street, we'd play at Mitchell House, all over the city. Ed Pickney was one of my teammates. Mm. So Ed, Eddie used to walk me to the train station. If I had to get from, you know, say it was like four or five blocks <laughs> from the park to that train station, uh -huh. he would walk me, make, make sure I got down into the subway and then take off. Wow, that was early on. As I played better, I was <laughs> I, I gained yep. respect, and I, yep. and I was actually more than comfortable 
in those areas. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, much like uh, on the tennis court, you have to prove yourself. Yeah. And back then, no social media. That was a daily occurrence. Whatever you did the day before did not matter. The next time you went up there, you had to play well again to be accepted. Um, so introduction to performing under pressure, um, defining a role for yourself. You know, back then, we never knew who was showing up to those games. So it wasn't like we had a lot of practices. So learning how to fit into a team, all those different dynamics really came into, you know, really, really made me a, a much better player physically and mentally, you know, just being mentally strong. Um, and like I said, over time, all those people I met, they became lifelong friends of mine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Eddie Pick, I speak to him once a week still. Wow. Played with some, some amazingly talented players all through my high school career. I mentioned Mario Eli. Mario Eli was actually. Mario Eli was a, was a great pro, but I bet not all of them made the pros, right? Even though they were probably no, no. Great, great high school players. Many high school players I played with, uh, you know, did not even go into college. Wow. Because they got, you know, had, you know, made some bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, those, I cherish those times. And I always say, you know, growing up in New York uh, taught me so much. And my high school years through my college years, and no offense to the education system, but really to me, traveling around the city, uh, being exposed to different cultures, being put in some uncomfortable situations, sometimes threatening situations, all those different things, really, uh, I think I learned more uh, traveling the streets of New York uh, during the seventies and eighties, and maybe some of those situations I wouldn't recommend to the <laughs> for your kids at the moment, right? I got, I yeah. ask but you, but I, yeah. I did learn a lot. I'm sure. I got to ask you this because um, you know I know you were on two Olympic teams. One when you were basically still in college in '84, and then again on the you know the famous Dream Team. What were the differences? Just you were kind of the young guy in '84. Obviously, they I mean threw you on the team, but then you know now you're a legit. NBA star playing with all these other, you know, huge stars. So kind of compare the two experiences, the two different Olympic uh, games you were in. Yeah, so um, as history has it now, the last uh, amateur gold medal won, amateur medal won um, was was 84. Right. Because 88 we lost in 92, obviously the, the NBA players were allowed. So 84 was your typical tryout. You know, we had to show up for three months to trial for the, for the team. They, they invited, I think, 72 players originally, cut it down to 30, down to 20, and wow. you know, it was the tr- typical tryout process. Bobby Knight was the head coach. Mm. Um, some players that were cut late were John Stockton, Charles Barkley. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. On that, on that team was Patrick Ewing, Michael Jordan. We, it was a really, really good team, good, mm. good uh, amateur basketball team. And that was in L.A., um, so we won the gold medal there. It was a tremendous experience. Playing for Bobby Knight was was intense, but I, I really respected him, had a good time with him. Um, Alvin Robertson, uh, I mentioned Patty, Wayman Tisdale, Sam oh, Perkins, wow. Alvin shoot. Robertson, yeah. Yeah. Long, Long Island City's own Vern yeah. Fleming. So yeah. we had a good team. 92, fast forward, we lose in 88 uh, to Russia, which whose team, by the way, was – all the best players were Lithuanian at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Shrunas Marshalonis, right. uh, Alvitas Sabonis. So 92, uh, just by fortune, I'm playing at a high level. And, and uh, the, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, decides to let 
NBA professionals uh, play because basically the, the foreign teams were using the pros anyway for years. Right, right. They played, so they was, played was, pro basketball in Europe, yeah. It was partially to level the playing field but also to globalize mm-hmm. the sport of basketball. That, that was part of the, uh, the strategy there was to, to globalize, trying to compete with soccer and, quite frankly, tennis as a global sport. And it's worked uh, pretty well. But uh, <laughs> no. being named to that team, to me, was the crowning moment of my career, to be able really? to play yeah. on that dream team. Uh-huh. And, and I, was very, I was very fortunate to be playing at such a high level at that point in time because I had made those changes in my life. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so those, those memories and, and that, that legendary team, uh, you know, to me, you know, the, the, the crowning moment of my career. Uh, it was awesome. It was amazing to watch it. So, Jonathan, just before I let both of you guys go, and I really appreciate both of you guys jumping on, um, what's your what's your vision? I mean, you've been working at this for, for a long time now. It takes a while to build something from scratch. What's your vision? Where do you want this to be in five or ten years from now? You know, I think a lot of what Chris said just really resonated for why we're building this company. You know, let me say in all modesty and humility, you know, we want to use biotechnology as a force for good to change the world. And we want to do that through microbiome innovations and next-gen probiotics so that way we could continue to decode and recode human health and performance. You know, that's what Nella represents, and it's just the first of many innovations you know, in a product pipeline that revolves around our discovery platform. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, the notion of community and um, education and democratizing concepts and making them more accessible. The dream team is a perfect analogy. You know, how the notion of that team in 92 going out into the world and being a shine example of what basketball is and how many folks they've educated to the point now, and, and Chris, you may feel this way, probably the, a majority of the best players in the league are not from the U.S., right, because of the impact that you guys made. Mm-hmm. And I think about that with Fitbiomics, right, and you talk about diversity, inclusion, and education. What we're doing is we're popularizing next-gen, you know, technology. We're making it more accessible, and we're doing that by working with elite athletes and popular mediums. So now... It's not only something that's like science fiction, it's real world that every day people have access to it, they know about it, and can improve their opportunities, but also their health and nutrition. So that is the vision of Fit Biomics, being like the 1992 dream team, right? We want to use <laughs> that, our, our biotechnology to educate and change the world. That's a, that's a lofty goal, but why not? Shoot for the top. Shoot for the top. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for supporting uh, my podcast. Molly, I mean, I could do another couple hours with you, but I know you're busy. I, the last thing I want to ask you, though, is because you, you, you've – I feel like I've tried to do a lot of different things in my career, you know, once I was done playing. And when I look at all the things you've done, you know, GM, special advisor to the Kings, you know, GM for the Warriors, coaching at St. John's, TV work, et cetera. What, what's, what's been the w- one thing, if you could say one thing, in your post-playing career you've enjoyed the most? That's a tough one, Patrick. The, the, That's why I asked curse, it. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, you're great at that. The, the, yeah. the blessing and the curse is, and I, and I think you, you would agree, and I know your brother John would because he's still playing, is when you have something you love so much and have so much passion for, and that's playing the sport, everything else is, is a distant second. They're, they're great gigs. They're, they're yeah. fun. They take up your time. 
but they never live up to that, 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 that thing you love so much. So all the different things I've done, GM, the coaching at St. John's, they, they were all fulfilling to a degree. Um, and they filled at that point in my life, something I needed to do. Um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing now because it's less stress. Um, but nothing lives up to that, 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 the passion and the love of playing, you know, and, yeah. and that's not a bad thing. It's just a fact. So staying connected to the sport in, in different ways, I think has been fun for me. Um, and who knows what happens in the future, but, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, life evolves. You try different things. You, you know, you, you take, don't worry, but take some risks. Don't worry about failing. Um, and like, I, you know, like we talked earlier, a lot of things in life you learn through experience, and they're not—they're not always good experiences, but they're, they're teaching tools, uh, and you can make adjustments in your own life, and maybe more importantly, share those experiences with other people and, and help them through their journey. Um, so, it's been my pleasure. And Patrick, I—you know—I don't watch a lot of NFL, but I, but I watched a little bit of the, of the Manning brothers. Yeah, I, I I think you and uh, your big brother John should do some of that type of stuff during tennis. Yeah, we agree. Could you talk to ESPN, I, please? Yeah. Uh, I was only there for a few years. But, but seriously, <laughs> you guys, I love listening to both. Obviously, you guys are my buddies, but your insights are incredible. Um, I just think there's a lot to offer there. So if, if the well, ESPN yep. is listening. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny because the first night that they came on, and I'll let you guys go after this, the first night the Manning brothers came on, Johnny Mac called me, which he rarely does, you know, unless he's like, <laughs> he says, are you watching this? I said, yeah. He goes, this is what we should be doing. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock, you know. So <laughs> again, thank you so much, both of you guys. Jonathan, keep the, keep the Nella coming my way, baby. I need it. I got to stay healthy. And uh, you guys, good luck with the company and Molly. All the best. Go Warriors. All right, Patrick. See you, see you soon. Thanks, buddy. We'll miss you in New York. Take care, guys. All right, bye. See you. Jonathan Scheinman, Chris Mullen, everybody, on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.